Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. decided to not cooperate with me today, so I don't know what that's about. I won't be projecting as loud, so you don't have to feel like, man, the preacher yelled at me today. <laughs> um, I think Amy's been praying that I lose my voice. I don't know. It wasn't just Amy. It wasn't just Amy. I'm still telling you a joke this morning, so, but before I get into that, I, I want to just share some testimonies, man. Come on. Who doesn't like testimonies? I love them. I love when we have testimonies to share about the goodness of God. Um, Man, Miss Maria, nothing but good reports. So last week we shared a testimony. Um, The doctors thought she was going to have to have dialysis. The Lord uh, healed her, didn't need dialysis. She got all her other, her her heart. Um, They thought thought you had heart failure. What, What else was there? Oh, dialysis and heart failure. Well, guess what? We prayed, and test results came back. No heart failure, no dialysis needed. God healed her. So, man, praise God. Praise God. We, I had a friend call me this week, and uh, about a week ago, he actually called and said, Ryan, I need you to pray. Um, a guy in my church, uh, he's, uh, I've been praying for the, this gentleman in his church on and off for about a month, and uh, he said, like, he's been on a transplant list for his kidney and for his uh, pancreas. And uh, he's had diabetes his whole life. His, his kidneys were failing, and it, his pancreas just wasn't producing in, in, insulin at all. And so um, he was on this, on this list to get a transplant. And he's, he's young. He's young, younger than me. And, and then uh, they took him off the list. And then the Lord put it, 
that we prayed and the Lord put him back on the list. Um, so we're pray- obviously I was praying for complete healing. God can make things work, you know? Um, but he ended up like, they thought like, Hey, we just don't have anything for you. They took, like he went to the top of the list because of his age and then they took him off the list and they put him back on the list, which is the answer to prayer. And then he got the surgery and everything went fantastic. Like it was so good, but then he went into a coma and he got an infection. And then the doctors are saying, because, uh, the doctors are saying like, it's not looking good. You, you might need to make preparations to his family. And so my friend Max said, hey, you know that gentleman in my church we've been praying for? He's in a coma. I, I, I don't know. I'm going up to the hospital right now. He had the surgery and all this stuff. And so I told him, I said, Max, you have full authority in Jesus' name to walk into that um, hospital room, lay hands on him, and pray over him. And I believe God's going to heal him. And uh, I said, this is, when, this, this is when it gets real, all right? It's easy to pray for people's healing when we're in this building, surrounded by other people of faith. But when you walk into a hospital room, and you pray over someone. When the doctors are saying, we don't know what happened, we don't know why he's in a coma, we don't know if he's gonna wake up. Naturally, it would be easy to say, well, I'm here for you, I'm praying for your family. But I, I told my friend, I said, you walk in there and you tell them, in the name of Jesus, get up. And so he did. And get this, God answers prayers. He came back a few days later, the guy was out of the coma, he was awake, to the point where the doctors are saying, the, like, like the University of Indiana is going to come study this case because they don't know what happened. Like, I know what happened. My friend knows what happened. Even the non-believing parents know what happened. God showed up and healed him. Come on, give it up for Jesus. He's so good. I say all that. The point of a testimony is this. If God did it for them, he'll do it for me. And I don't know what you're going through today, but God is here and he can do it for you. If you need healing in your body, he's a healing God. If you need deliverance from depression, man, he's a God that gives joy and peace. If you're crippled with anxiety, he's a God that brings peace and silences fear. If he did it for them, he could do it for you. With that said, I got to tell you a few jokes. Before we get in to the message, because um, they're funny. Um, like I, I had like four people send me jokes this week. Praise God, because um, but like there, one of them was pastor openers, and I'm gonna steal a couple openings from 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 that stupid. It's such a stupid video. I think it's on my Facebook page. Someone sh- uh, tagged me in it. But one one pastor walked in and he said. Well, church, I'm, I'm here to heal leopards and beat hypocrites, and I'm fresh out of lepers. So, <laughs> that's so stupid. I know. Um, or, or, church, you know why Jesus got banned from every jewelry store? Because he breaks every chain. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. That's enough of those silly jokes. Um, or, uh... <laughs> I got one more. Well, this one made me laugh because, like, he got up there and said, that, that person who wrote me that letter, you know who you are? The feeling's mutual. Like, that, that made me laugh so hard. I've never had a letter written to me yet, so if you guys want to write me one, that's fine. I don't care. Um, I probably won't read it, so. <laughs> so, uh, to be real, I, I, I will read a text message. Um, 
So I'm, I'm going to tell you one more joke. Um, the, the, uh, the, this lady who happened to have um, golden blonde hair, um, she went shopping um, for groceries, and while she was in the store, there was a giant snowstorm. It was just a blizzard. And so the store, like any good store, they called a plow in. And so she got in the truck, and her dad always, um, like, she got in the truck, and she saw the plow, and she just started following the plow because her dad, um, her, her dad told her, like, hey, if you ever get stuck in snow, you need to follow a plow because the, the road right behind the plow will be clear, and you'll, you won't get stuck. So it, it's a blizzard. She sees the plow. She starts following this plow. And she's following it for hours, hours. And finally, the plow driver gets out. And um, he's like, ma'am, I got, I got to ask, why are you following me? She, and she said, well, my dad always told me that if I ever get caught in a blizzard like this and there's accumulation on the ground and um, he said, just follow a plow. At least the road will be clear and you might be able to get to safety or something like that. He's like, okay, you can follow me for the rest of this parking lot, but after I get done here, I'm going to the Walmart parking lot too. <laughs> Stupid. You know how you drown a blonde? Oh, no, not that, no. You put a scratch and sniff sticker at the bottom of a pool. <laughs> Oh, that's so dumb. Why would he say that? I don't, I don't even know. It just came to my mind. Like, I, I, I am a wealth of blonde jokes, Ford jokes, and Chuck Norris jokes. And so, um, today we're, we're continuing. Okay, I'll tell you one Chuck Norris joke. Sorry. Why, like, it's, it's so, it's my favorite Chuck Um. Chuck Norris jokes are so amazing um, because uh, they just add to his legend. But you know, every time Chuck Norris prays, an angel grows a beard. <laughs> so stupid stuff. All right, today, today we're in First Corinthians chapter one, ten through seventeen, and we're we're just picking up where we left off last week. We we left off with pa- uh, with, with Pastor Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, sowing seeds of life into this church and he was he was taking and he was putting change in his pocket so he can make a withdrawal later because he knew that he was about to have to rebuke this church hard this church was in crisis and it is in crisis because they have division amongst the church they're quarreling and fighting them they have they have, there's a guy in the church sleeping with a stepmom. I mean, there's all sorts of messed up stuff going on in this church. And, and the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to course correct this church before they shipwreck their faith. And they're doing some things in the church that will shipwreck your faith. It, it will destroy your faith in God because... It, it com- it's like how the enemy works. He comes in and he's very sneaky-like and you don't think anything of it. And one of the things we're, de- uh, uh, we're dealing with today is one of those sneaky things the enemy uses to shipwreck our faith because it gets our eyes off of Jesus. All these things make us focus on something other than Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul is having to write probably the heaviest letter in the whole New Testament, to course correct this church. In fact, 
We actually know historically he wrote four letters to the Corinthian church, and we only have two of them in canon in the Bible. Um, but he, he spent a lot of time writing this church, trying to help them. And if you look at the, the comparison between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they're night and day. 2 Corinthians is a very encouraging book, where this book is kind of heavy. And, and he's doing it because he loves them. Hebrews tells us God disciplines those he loves, and, and here he's having to discipline the church. And so we're going to jump right into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10 through 17. Um, he starts off with, I appeal to you. So right out the gate, 1, one through 9, he's saying, hey, this is who you are in Christ. He's building them up. He's sowing seeds of life. And now he's getting to the nitty-gritty. Sometimes in ministry, we call it a pastoral sandwich. Where Have you guys ever heard that term? Does anyone know what a pastoral sandwich is? All right, I'm going to... This is like a magician showing their tricks. Uh, a pastoral sandwich is, if it's, if it's done correctly, it's life-giving. But sometimes it's not done correctly, and we all have had church hurt. I get that. But a pastoral sandwich is like, hey, um, I just really love how you have a heart and um, how you're on fire for God and how you really love people. Build them up. But there is this one area that I, I was thinking that we could work on, and then it's just like, <clears throat> and then like, but yeah, man, I, man, how you love people, and it's, it's sandwiched. It's, it's, it's the correction sandwiched between building up. And we need that, because if all you hear is a correction, you're just getting punched in the face. But that's what Paul's doing here. He's giving the church a, uh, a pastoral sandwich. He's built, put, put change in his pocket so he can make a withdrawal. But, but whenever you make a withdrawal, you've got to put change back in your pocket. So he says, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal to you to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Notice what he didn't say. He said, let there be just a little division in the church or just a small amount, just a minute amount of division. No, he, he said very clearly, let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. What unites us? Our mind, like, like our thought, how, how we move forward. Do you, what does the Holy Spirit do? He renews our mind. He gives us the mind of Christ. So we look at things from God's point of view, not from the world's point of view. And what's our purpose? The gospel of Jesus Christ, to preach the gospel and make the disciples. That's our purpose. We have to be united in our efforts to reach this world with the gospel. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels. My dear brothers and sisters, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? I feel like this is, this is that moment in the church history that is the first account of denominationalism. 
Ever since Jesus prayed during the Last Supper, Father, I pray that they are one as you and I are one. The enemy has worked relentlessly to sow division in the church. And he does it so stinking sneakily. He does it over Scripture. He does it like, well, I don't think that Scripture means that. So I'm going to go for my own denomination. Well, I don't think that means that. Or that, that's wrong. So I'm going to... That's what's happening right here. It's like a, it was like a dry run for the enemy to form denominations right here. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For now, for, for now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach good news. And not with clever speech, for fear the cross would lose its power. He wasn't trying to persuade them. He wasn't trying to tempt them. He wasn't trying to think of clever ways like the, all the points make a, make a word. He preached the gospel, Christ and him crucified. So I, I want to give you just a few thoughts today. And I want us to chew on these. And, and, and the takeaway, I'm, I'm going to tell you the takeaway at the, at the beginning, and then we're going to hit it again on the end. The takeaway is we need to pay attention to what we're following. We need to pay attention to what we're following. So the, the title of my message is What We Follow. The first thought I want to give you is we identify by what we follow. Last week, we spoke in, in the first part of this chapter about how God, it is God who gives identity. And the enemy will work so hard to distort the identity that God gives you. But God speaks identity over you. And we can't change what God speaks about us. He says you're a son, you're a daughter. When you're born again, he says you're more than a conqueror. He says that you have peace in Christ. He says that you're seated with God in heavenly places. He, he speaks these things over you, and that's part of your identity when you're in Christ. The enemy wants you to doubt your identity so you don't walk in authority. Well, how does the enemy get us to doubt our identity in Christ? He gets us to follow things less than Christ. Because get this, everything's speaking identity over you. You know, uh, Fox is telling you you're a Republican, CNN tells you you're a Democrat. I mean, like, everything's... Your, your, your congressmen are telling you this, you're... Your president's saying this. Everything speaks identity over you. And then, and then also, when we follow, when we follow things, man, like I like this sports team or whatever, we start identifying. Like, Pastor Nathan's wearing a a Vol shirt. What a, what a great example. Of course, in his defense, he wears Vol orange ninety five percent of the time. So it's not like, but but like, but you follow. You follow the Vols. You love the Vols, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's no, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But, but you could pick Pastor Nathan out of a crowd right now because he's giant and orange. And so, 
His identity is set by what he's following. It, and and that, that's true. The enemy wants us to follow things less than Christ. We identify by ideologies. Well, I was raised a certain way, and that's how my daddy did it. That's how my mama did it. That's how I do it. Oh, my, my family's always voted this way. My family's always voted that way. I, we identify by that. This, this cultivates a us and them mentality in the church. When, when we identify by anything but Jesus, it cultivates us and them mentality. Instead of us saying, we are the body of Christ, we'll speak about other denominations as if they're not the body of Christ. We'll speak about other ideologies as if their ideology doesn't matter. So what does that look like in the church today? I, I can tell you firsthand from my experience what, what the Apostle Paul is addressing when, when people are saying, I follow Apollos, which Apollos was a great preacher. If you don't know, who is Apollos? I don't recognize that name. Like, I, I recognize Peter's name. I recognize Paul's name. Who's Apollos? Apollos was a great preacher that went around preaching the gospel in several cities, um, some people believe that he's actually the author of the book of Hebrews. And so uh, there's a lot of evidence that lends itself that way. So like he wasn't just some guy. He was a, a big figure in the, in the New Testament church. And, and so um, he, he preached the gospel a lot. Peter, obviously, the, 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 really the, the main apostle that, that, that led the church after Jesus ascended into heaven through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Like some people were saying, no, I, I follow only, only Peter. I follow only Apollos. I, I follow only Paul. I, some people are like, no, I follow only Jesus. <laughs> what does that look like today? Well, when I talk to people and I, and I, and I start conversations with people and well, I'll see where the conversation is going. I might just walk up to them and say, hey, how are you? And we'll see. I'm like, hey, do you mind if I pray with you? And, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. So normally when I ask if I can pray with someone, I'll ask them a follow-up question. And it's really simple. What do you know about Jesus? Um, what do you know about Jesus? And gauging that conversation, they'll tell me what I need to do in the next part of the conversation. You know, if they're like, well, I, I don't know. Like, he was a good man. Like, well, let's explain who Jesus is. You know, he's a son of God. He died for your sins. If, if they say, well, Jesus died for all my sins, you know, I'm like, oh, praise God, they already know. Like, well, do you have a relationship with him? Like, it just, it changes the course of the conversation. But what happens almost, I would say, 85% of the time, I've never done actual statistics, but it's so, the majority of the time, if I say, what do you know about Jesus, this is what happens. Oh, dear, I, I'm Church of Christ. Or, I'm Baptist. Or, oh, I'm Pentecostal. Or, I'm, I'm, I'm Methodist. Like, I've heard them all. Like, and normally, like, so, I'm that guy that's going to follow up. With, uh, when I hear that, I'm going to follow up. I'm like, well, that didn't answer the question. You told me what church you went to, but you never told me what you know about Jesus. 
that happens so often in our churches today, <laughs> we identify by where we go, I, ideologies, our interpretation of a certain set of scripture, how we worship, we identify. Man, well, I, let, let's make it even more modern. Well, I really like Hillsong worship. Well, I really like Bethel worship. Well, I really like elevation worship. Well, I don't know what any of those are. I like old-time hymns. Whenever we let our preference trump truth, we become a Pharisee. Because we'll identify by what we follow. We'll, we'll discount everything else because it's not our preference. That's what was happening in the church. They were about to shipwreck the, what God was doing. The enemy was, was trying to get them to quarrel so much over who they listened to. They were so caught up on a preacher that they forgot that it's all about Jesus. Apollos preached Jesus. Peter preached Jesus. Paul preached Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all for Jesus. It's all by Jesus. It's all through Jesus. It's all for his glory. It's not about us. Hillsong worships Jesus. Elevation worships Jesus. Bethel worships Jesus. Hymns glorify Jesus. And if we, if we, if we lose sight of who it's about, we could, we could be just as guilty of following something lesser than Jesus. Well, if we's like, well, I'm assembly of God. Cool. What do you know about Jesus? I'm Baptist. What do you know about Jesus? Because being Baptist won't get you into heaven. Being assembly of God won't get you into heaven. Being Methodist won't get you into heaven. Being Catholic won't get you into heaven. It's Jesus. Following Apollos won't get you into heaven. Following Paul won't get you into heaven. Following Peter won't get you into heaven. It won't. Never has, never will. It's Jesus. But we identify by what we follow. I'm a firm believer in this. That God created one church. Man's opinion created denominations. And whenever people say, why, well, I'm, I'm Baptist or I'm, I'm, I'm Assembly of God, whatever, that's what I tell them. They're like, well, what's your view on, on denomination? I'm like, well, I tell them the same thing every time. Jesus died to create one church. Man's opinion created denominations. That's the reality. And, and if we can't push aside those differences, we'll never reach our nation. The Corinthian church was fighting against themselves and forgetting that there is a whole city called Corinth that was pagan, worshiping idols, going to hell, doing idolatrous acts and immoral acts to worship their gods that needed salvation, and yet they were quarreling over who led them to the Lord instead of remembering it's Jesus. And we could be so guilty of the same thing, and I, I just, I don't think we are, but I'm just, I'm warning you, just like Paul is trying to course correct, 
I'm, I'm just warning us, like, let's not be like that. If my, if my Baptist brother needs help, let's link arms. If the gospel's being preached and people are being saved, let's link arms and push the kingdom. So Jesus actually had something to say about this, believe it or not. He says in Mark chapter 9, 38 through 50, it, it's so interesting what Jesus says about this other guy who is casting out demons. So, John said to Jesus, We saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. That would be like us going downtown on first Friday and having a table passing out cards that say Jesus loves you and praying with people and handing out water just to be a blessing to people. And we walk up to another church saying, hey, you need to stop because we already have it covered. Like, are you joking? If, if, we, if we had 20 churches that had 500 people in them, we still couldn't reach all of Murray County. It, it doesn't make sense. We're on the same team. We're growing the kingdom together. It's for his glory. It's not about C1. It's not about first family. It's not about destiny. I want God to glorify his name in Columbia, and I just want us to be part of it. How can we help? How can, how can we link arms? How can we grow the kingdom? Jesus, Jesus said, don't stop him. Jesus said, no one performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives us a cup of water because you, if anyone gives you a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. And then he says this really weighty thing. And it's interesting because we can actually kind of misquote it when we don't understand the context around it. But it says, if, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. Jesus is not actually speaking about children, though I believe it is true that you should not harm children. But he was actually talking about people who are young in the faith. And if your preference causes someone to fall away from a walk with the Lord because you're being religious instead of being relational, you're, you're saying it's my way or the highway type of attitude in your walk with God, Jesus is actually saying it's better for you to drown than to stand before God. That's heavy. If you cause someone to walk away from their faith because we're so religious, stop casting out demons. You're not an apostle. Stop, stop praying with people. You're not assembly of God. What are you doing? We got the market covered on missionaries. Doesn't make sense. Sounds idiotic, actually. 
If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with one hand than to go into unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It is better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where maggots never die and the fire never goes out. For everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for a season. But if it loses its flavor, how does it get salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. He's not saying be salty. That's a completely different definition. What does salt do? It heals. It purifies. It preserves. Saying, be healing. Help, help purify. Preserve. Live at peace. So Jesus has a few thoughts here. You know, he, we, he, I, I think he could be literally speaking like, hey, it's better to actually lose a hand than to sin and go to hell. It, it is. It, it, it would be better for you to lose a hand or an eye or a foot than go to hell. He's literal, but he's also being figurative. He's saying, like, if there's something in your life that's causing you not to walk in intimacy with the Father, you need to cut it out. Because it's better to lose whatever it is that's causing you to have a relationship than to go to hell. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? So, the, the first thing I, I think that kind of gives context here is... We identify by what we follow. So he first tells his disciples, this is something that we need to hear. He first tells his disciples, look at the fruit of the ministry. This guy's casting out demons. We told him to stop. And he's like, wait, what? Jesus already addressed that demons don't come out by the power of demons. They only come out by the power of God. Demons don't listen to demons like that. So we know that this guy was operating in the power of God. So... Jesus is saying, look at the fruit of the ministry. And honestly, as churches interact with churches, we, we look at things and, and, and there's so many pastors on the internet. There's so, many, there's so many different preachers. There's so many different prophets. There's so many, I say prophets. Um, there's so many different things on the internet. Look at the fruit of the ministry. Are they standing on the word of God? Are they preaching the word of God? Uh, do, do they compromise on the word of God? If no, listen to them. If yes, don't listen to them. Are people being saved? If yes, praise God. Are people being healed? If yes, if pe are people being delivered? Look at the fruit of the ministry. Jesus is saying, this guy's casting out demons. Why'd you tell him to stop? That's good fruit. That's good fruit. But here's the flip side there does come a point where we do have to confront. If people are claiming to be part of the kingdom and yet they're not standing on the word of God, they're not preaching the word of God, there does come a point where we do have to confront. Say, hey, that's not what the word of God says. And we draw back to the truth. I had a conversation last night 
in fact, about this very thing. Like, hey, the word of God says this. But you're not standing on that. You're claiming to be a Jesus follower, but you're, you're allowing all this other stuff into your life. Those things don't compute. You're, and so there does come a point where we have to confront, but we do so in love. The second thing Jesus, he warns them it's better for them to be drowned in the sea than cause a child in the faith to waver and sin because of their preference of ministry. I was walking through the fair the other day with my kids and I walked past this church booth and they were doing good work and I, I, didn't, I, I didn't say anything but there was little things on there that uh, like it, it just kind of ate me and hurt me because I saw like, like why you should only read the King James. I'm like, you're going to bring that up in an introductory? <sighs> like, if you like the King James, go for it, man. Read it. Praise God. He's going to minister to you in it. But to lead with that hurt me because that's very religious and I feel like that's putting a stumbling block right right out the gate in someone's walk with the Lord he tells them to examine their own lives and make sure there's no sin in there before we go off and start looking at people's walk with the Lord and saying, hey, you need to stop that. Are we looking at ourselves saying, what do I need to stop? What's in my life? What am I following? Because we identify by what we follow. Then he tells them to be salt to one another and live at peace. Be salt to one another. Help one another. Heal one another. Preserve one another. And live at peace with each other. But too often we, we, we in the church let our preference and flavor of denomination cause us not to encourage and build each other up. When people are truly trying to build God's kingdom and preaching the living word, let's link arms. Let's build the kingdom together. Let's figure out how we can work together. Whenever we let preference supersede God's word, we cease being a disciple and we become a Pharisee. Because we, we become what we follow. second thought I want to leave with you real quick is we are fed by what we follow. So Paul is coming at this angle and he's trying to help the Corinthian church understand that you don't need Apollos, you don't need Paul, and you don't need Peter when you have Jesus. When you're following Jesus, he's going to be the one that feeds you. If you're waiting on man to feed you, you're going to starve. If you're, if you're depending on a weekly message out of this pulpit, you are going to starve in your walk with God. It, it's just not going to do it. I don't care if it's a great... Billy Graham's up here. You know, Billy Graham preached one message his whole career, and it was salvation. He never taught really deep theology. He only preached... He would starve. You would. You need... You need 
to go after Jesus. They were meditating on persons teaching or they're they're following a person that baptized them instead of having allegiance to the person that it was all about it was all about jesus it was all for jesus it was all by jesus it was jesus paul is trying to stop them from putting their faith in the wrong place and he's trying to stop them from eating from the wrong plate If you guys, um, we, we kind of hit this last week, but this would be a horrible dieting plan. But if you guys only ate once a week, you would physically die. But yet, as, sometimes as believers, we do that. We wait for that, that one preacher to come online and defeat us. Instead of just getting into the Word of God for ourselves. Or, or we go to devotionals. Devotionals are great if they supplement your time in the Word of God. We as a church have got to be children of the Word. Devotionals are, are, are good. I'm not going to dog on a devotional, but if that's your only source, you will starve. Because what is a devotional? It's essentially a message in book form. It's another man's opinion of what Scripture means. That's what a devotional is. It's someone else it's someone else taking scripture, chewing it up for you like a mama bird, and then spitting it out onto a page, and so you don't have to do any of the hard work of getting into the word yourself. That's what a devotional is. Instead, we can go to the source. Did you know the Bible is the only book where the author will meet with you every time you read it? The Holy Spirit longs to break the word of God alive in you. Do we need devotionals? Yes. Do we need preachers? Yes, we do. But that can't be our only source. We are fed by what we follow. I'll give you an example of why we need preachers. This last Wednesday, a great man of God led the prayer service. Pastor Andy led the prayer service. You, thought, you guys thought I was going to say me. It wasn't me. A great man of God, I said great, um, led the prayer service, and he shared a 10-minute devotional. And, and I, I'm going to shamelessly plug the prayer service, man. Get here. Pray with us. Pray that we impact the kingdom. The first and third Wednesday of every month, we pray. We pray for our city. We pray for our country. We pray for individual needs. We pray for the needs of the church. We pray. But he show, shared a 10-minute devotional, and he talked about how David... He sinned against God by taking a census. And so the Lord told him where to go. He had to go to, I believe, Gilgal. And he, had to, and he went into this person's house. And, and um, he said, hey, i got to make a sacrifice here. The Lord told me to make a sacrifice here. And the guy's like, oh, you can have it. And, and David said, no, I, I can't worship God unless it costs me something. And so he said, it has to cost me. So he ended up buying the shed. He ended up buying the threshing floor and everything. And, and David was talking about how worship cost us something we've made worship too cheap and that was kind of the point of what pastor andy was talking about is how worship needs to cost us something and but i'm sitting here hearing this and then pastor andy made a a, a faint reference of you know it's so interesting like david had to do all this because he, he sinned but yet 
God called David a man after God's own heart, and yet he sinned. And, and so what that did in me, it sparked in me. I, I was sitting under the teaching. I was sitting right over there. And I'm hearing this, and then it sparked in me this thought. What made, G, what, 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 what made David a man after God's own heart? Then it sparked in me another thought. What made David so different than Saul? Because they both sinned. In fact, I, I believe David actually has more recorded sins in the Bible than Saul does. And so because that sparked in me, it started making me wrestle with some of this. So I had to go read it. I had to go study it. And, and so what, what, what his little 10-minute devotion was, it, was, it wet my appetite for the real deal. And that's what I pray that that's what preaching does. That's what this service does. It doesn't, it's not like, oh, I can't wait to get to service so I can get fed. It's like, man, I can't wait to get to service to whet my appetite so I can go home and get fed. It wetted me. I was like, oh man, I got to look at this. I got to study this. And out of that came a message. And I would preach it. I would have preached it today if we weren't in a series. It's called The Tale of Two Kings. And, and be, all because I sat under a person's teaching and it sparked me and it drove me to the word. And that's what I pray that Sunday mornings do is drive us to the word and that it whets our appetite because we, we, we are fed by what we follow and if we follow a preacher, we're going to die. If we follow a genre of music, we're going to die. If we follow a devotional book, we're going to die. But if we follow Jesus, if we get into the word, we worship Jesus, we go after Jesus, we're going to live. Because guess what? As much as Andy and I are friends, we've been together for quite a while, almost as long as Amy and I have been together. We're um, um, two misters from, I don't know the saying, but bro brothers from different mothers. Um, we, we, he's not always available to talk to. As much as I like to talk the word with him, he's not available all the time. I, he, it just like, and, and if, if I called him as much as I want to talk about the Bible, I would annoy the crap out of that man. I would annoy him so much. I mean, I already annoy him. So, um, and, and, and here's the thing. I'm not always, I, as much as I love to talk to you guys, I love to talk to you guys. I love to respond to texts. I, like, I literally live for this. This is my purpose in being alive. This is the only reason I'm alive, is to pastor and to, and to walk, walk, walk out this call in my life. I love you guys, but I'm not always available. There are times when I'm with my family, and I put my phone down, and I'm, I'm not going to be distracted because my kids need a dad. There are times when I'm with my wife that i got to put my phone down because my wife needs a husband. And so... I'm not always available, but you know what? You know who is always available? Jesus. And you know what? What's really cool is he's never late to an appointment. And you know what? And you could spring an appointment on him, and he doesn't even care. You could just be like, you know what? I'm going to go pray. And he's like, dude, he's right there. Because we're fed by what we follow, and if we follow Jesus, guess what? We're going to be well fed. We're going to be well fed. But I, I, figured, I figured something out, though, about the church when I was writing this and praying about this. I think that some, some in the church, not all, but the, the reason why we have kind of grumpy older Christians 
You want to know? Yeah, seriously, you guys want to know why we have grumpy older Christians? I'll tell you. They don't have to be older, just FYI. The reason why we have grumpy people that follow Jesus, I, I, I think I know the answer. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. Because they're hangry. Not physically hangry, but they've been going to a, a oh, I listen to Stephen Furtick. Oh, I listen to Craig Rochelle. I, I listen to so-and-so. Oh, um, yeah, that Joel Olstein, man, he is just a smiley preacher. Yeah, he is, and he's super encouraging. I, <laughs> but I'm telling you, man, it's like eating cotton candy. Tastes good, doesn't last. You try to fill up your tummy on cotton candy. You're going to get a million calories before you just put this much in your stomach. I mean, like, it just won't last. But, because <laughs> we're fed by what we follow, if we get into the Word, we go after Jesus. We get into the Word. We go after Jesus. We pray. We get into the Word. We pray and we follow Him. Man, that's just dessert on the side. And we'll be well fed. And guess what? When we get into the Word, it changes us. It doesn't make us hangry anymore. And the thing is, this is the trap. I've talked a lot about the stuff in the church today. But we're fed by what we follow, and that's not just the church. We could be so filled up on the things of this world that we not, might not have room for the word. Are we filled up on, on the news? Are we filled up on a political opinion? Are we filled up on on people's opinion of our life? Are, are we filled up on, on social media? Are we, what are we filling up on? What are we following? Paul was addressing church issues because this, this, this church in Corinth, they were filling up on the opinions of certain preachers. They were following certain preachers instead of Jesus. But we have a lot more distraction than them. What's filling us up? That's the question today. Because what we fill up on, that, that's what's going to whet our appetite. That's what's going to feed us. And if it's anything but Jesus, we are going to die spiritually. If it's anything but Jesus, you're not going to, you're, you're going to have a hard time finding hope. You're going to have a hard time. There's, there is no hope apart from Jesus. If you watch the news for 10 minutes, you're going to be so depressed. And all the hope that we have is, you know what? <laughs> Heaven is my home. Jesus is king of all. He's sovereign over all things. I'm, I'm passing through this planet. That's hope. But if we can lose sight of that if we're filling up on other things. So today, I, I, I want to I be intentional that we don't fall into the trap of following anything but Jesus. And how do we do that? How do we do that in our walk with God? Well, we, we come to him. I... I this is how I do it, because I'm so guilty, guys. I'm so guilty of this. I get filled up on stuff that I shouldn't be filled up on all the time. Like, I love movies. 
I love movies. I could watch movies all night. I could, I, I could just, I could tune into a movie and just ignore the world around me. It's a gift, really, especially when my kids are being loud. But I could be so filled up on that that I zone out on, I, I miss out on my, my, my kids. I miss out on my, my marriage. I miss out, most importantly, on Jesus. I, I, I'm so guilty on filling up on things that don't matter. And, and, and so what I have to do is I, I have to come to the Lord daily and say, Lord, what am I filling up on? I remember about two months ago, I was praying and this little thing came to my mind and a mason jar popped into my head. And, and this, this thought went through my head and I know it was the Holy Spirit and he said, don't fill up on lesser things. And I, I thought about a mason jar and how you can, you can fill it full of ice. My mom is so bad about this, but she would, she would fill her cup so full of ice that when she, like, she would have a 40-ounce cup filled with ice and she couldn't pour a 12-ounce can of Diet Pepsi in it. Like, like, I don't know, some of you guys like ice like that. But I always blew my mind. I'm like, Mom, you can't even get a whole drink of what you're wanting because you're so filled up on solid water. And like, and by the time she gets the rest of her drink in there, it's so watered down. It tastes flat and it's gross. Like, it's like, why? Why, why, would, you, why would you dilute? And, that, and that, that's what we do, though. We fill up our lives with things that won't last, like, wa- like, like ice. And when we invite the Holy Spirit in to our life, we don't actually dump out the ice. We just pour them on top of the ice and then suddenly he's so deluded in our life. But one thing I've also noticed, you might be filled up on ice right now. You know ice has no value to you? Like you can eat ice and it doesn't have any calories. Even though you're chewing on it, it doesn't do anything for you. But here's the cool thing is you can have a cup full of ice and you could just start pouring a drink in it. You just keep pouring it, guess what that drink will eventually do? They'll push the ice out. They'll shove it out. I mean, it might spill a little bit. So today, I I just want us to examine ourselves and, and, and say, Holy Spirit... What am I filling up on? And I ask that you pour into me and shove things out of my life that I don't need. I don't, I don't want to be deluded in my walk with God. I need Holy Spirit full strength in my life. I need his voice as loud as I can get it because I'm hard-headed and I need him to speak clearly to me. And when, when I'm deluded with the, with the things of this world, it's hard to hear the difference between wisdom and fear. When, when I'm deluded, it's hard to see the difference between fear and faith. And, and, and so I just want to take a moment and pray. And, and, and most importantly, 
there's something else that we need to talk about. Maybe you've never filled up on Jesus at all. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to come be Lord of your life. That's the first thing you need to fill up on. If you're here today and you never asked Jesus into a relationship, this is not a religion. This is not about Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist. This is about the kingdom of God. And you say, I I need Jesus in my life. If you're here today, it's so simple. It's as simple as the Bible says, if, if, we, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, then we will be saved. So, so, we, so we just, we say, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. <laughs> I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again to set me free from sin. Now forgive me of my sins and come be Lord of my life. If you, if you believe that and you confess that, you become born again. And-